He's Pittsburgh born and we like him that way. What an incredible Cinderella story. This unknown comes out of nowhere. This is the Adam Crowley Show. The Cinderella boy. Yeah. On 970 ESPN and now on 106.3 FM. Crowley Show. Tim Benz in with you. Going to be at the Hangar in Moon Township in just a little bit for the Derek Schooley Show as well. So make sure you listen to that as we talk some college hockey. Pleased to be joined right now by the man who covers baseball for DKPittsburghSports.com. You can read him regularly there and you can hear him as well on this program. It's Lance Slysowski. Lance, on your way back from Bradenton, huh? Oh, yeah. So the first, what, first eight, nine days down there? Um, and it's been pretty interesting, Tim, as everybody back in Pittsburgh has seen with David Freeze, Josh Harrison, and even Sean Rodriguez saying some pretty interesting stuff. Now, did Bob Nutting's address to the team get you fired up? Do you feel like Bob Nutting is going to do everything for you to make you do your job as well as humanly possible? I would say I'd like to be a fly on the wall for that conversation in that room, but I would like to be more than a fly. I would like to be able to just see the reaction of some of the players particularly Josh Harrison and David Freeze, to see how they reacted to, you know, the guy who's uh, obviously ultimately calling the shots for the organization they're not too pleased with at the moment. I said this earlier in the show, Lance, and I stand by it. If I were a vested veteran player who, you know, I knew I was under contract, I would have said something. I would have said something back. I, I don't think I could have been a good enough employee and just taken the boss at his words there, knowing what I knew about how the offseason went down. Yeah, I, I, I can agree with that. And uh, that's why I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see if anybody, you know, if there were any additional conversations. You know, if I know that Josh Harrison probably, uh, definitely had an entrance meeting. I don't know if it's happened yet or if, it, if he hasn't, it will, where he sits down with Clint Hurdle and Neil Huntington and, some of the other people in the front office and just tells them how it is. And Neil Huntington's been noncommittal on keeping Josh Harris. And so, honestly, I think maybe that conversation could dictate what they do here. If, if Josh Harrison isn't on board, I could see them trading him. But they're not going to say anything more publicly because, of course, you'll lose leverage in trade negotiations if you're too public about these things. Right, so he doesn't want to undermine his own cause there if he really does want out, is what you're saying. Yes, yes. So... Um, it's Josh Harrison said what he wanted to say. Uh, he, he repeated that pretty clearly, and uh, his feelings haven't changed. And as you saw, um, Bryce Brents, they, the the Pirates acquired him, and another outfielder from the Red Sox. This is just another guy, though. This is a very similar move to the ones they made all off season. This isn't going to make Josh Harrison want to stay. This isn't going to make David Freeze think, you know better about what's going on in Pittsburgh right now. And it looks like the Pirates aren't going to make any more significant moves with this roster. This is what it is. Bryce Brents, Adam Frazier, maybe Sean Argus in left field, and you know it, it is what it is. And now it seems like they're just going to tell Josh Harrison, are you in or are you out? And Lance, let's be honest here with the acquisitions that they've made. You guys so far down in spring training haven't been able to get a real look at them, nor would you be able to, in some cases, like Musgrove, because his shoulders already bothered him? And from what I understand, Nava's back is acting up already too. Is that right? Yeah, I wouldn't worry about the the Musgrove thing. He was back on the field the next day doing uh, doing workouts. I'm sure that he'll throw his next bullpen. He doesn't anticipate missing it. The Nava one, I think that that's that's something they they are obviously a little concerned about. They wouldn't have traded for another outfielder if that was the case. Uh, they want somebody who's a veteran off the bench. But these are the types of moves they made. Tim all offseason, either waiver claims they picked up. 
a couple of guys in the Rule 5 draft, uh, a few minor trades like Josh Smoker and Bryce Brents on the Red Sox. That trade was completed today. So, no, they haven't spent any money on a, a free agent to a major league contract. Um, they're going to go with what they have, and that's the thing. I mean, you're saying you're contending. You say you're not. I don't think this is going to be a 100-loss baseball team. Don't get me wrong, but they're not a playoff team because they didn't address all the holes that they have. And you trade Garrett Cole and Andrew McCutcheon, I, I just – and don't bring anybody else in. You're just banking on the guys you got in that trade, like Colin Moraine, who only has 16 games of Major League experience. It's a huge roll of the dice, not only short-term, but long-term. Lance Lysowski joining us from DKPittsburghSports.com on his way back from Week 1 down in Bradenton. Tim Benz with you and for Adam Crowley today. Um, I'm thinking about guys like Freeze and Josh Harrison and Cervelli and... If they wanted to get themselves out of town, they could. And they probably, uh, you know, in some cases want to leave, like we talked about with Harrison. But what if you're a guy like Polanco or Marte? Uh, what if you're a guy like Rivero or Jamison Tyon or, you know, the young pitchers like Chad Cool, Trevor Williams? What are you thinking if you've got to be here long term? Yeah, and I think that's – Rivero signing the four-year extension in the offseason, that, that has to be difficult for a guy like that. And – you know, the, the vibe in the clubhouse, even David David Freeze said that. It's not the vibe in the clubhouse. What, what David Freeze said that I thought was really interesting is the fact that if a guy like Jamison Tyone, if you draft him second overall and he fulfills his potential, if you're a team like the Pirates, you know, like, the players on the roster know a guy like Tyone's not going to stick around. And that goes the same for Josh Bell. Scott Boris is his agent, by the way, so... The same. I think whatever happened to Garrett Cole, where they traded him two years away, that could happen to Josh Bell. It's it's a cycle. And it's a cycle that seems like it's going to continue, despite the fact that revenue across Major League Baseball for each team is at an all time high. And of course, the Pirates received fifty million dollars this offseason for the sale of of uh, MLB TV and and all the digital properties. So. Money was there to be spent, but instead they chose to go the route that they did. Lance, let's get to the other big news of the day, or at least the last couple days, and that is the pace of play and the changes that are being made there. And you know, Cervelli had me laughing out loud with his response, and calling <laughs> it the most ridiculous thing he's ever seen. Uh, this from a guy from Venezuela. I think the most ridiculous thing I'm seeing is backup catchers getting their moms kidnapped. Uh, let's talk about hyperbole here from Cervelli first, huh? Well, I, what I thought it's, I mean, he's he's sitting there and he's saying that he he doesn't think games are too long, but everybody else in that clubhouse thinks that games are too long. And Trevor Williams told me they are. Felipe Rivera told me they are. Hey, Rivero said that he would be okay with a pitch clock, which I thought was a pretty, uh, pretty noticeable. Uh, that's pretty significant for a guy that that would be okay with that type of change. Cervelli, old school guy. I mean, I think I kind of expected that. That's why I went up to him in the clubhouse and I asked him what I did. Uh, he thinks that Yadier Molina, who is pretty much notorious for being the guy who takes, you know, a number of mound visits and just overdoes it completely. He defended Molina, and he said that that's how baseball's supposed to be played. It's changing. Uh, you can't have games be as long as they, they have been the last few years, and um, I think for the most part, everybody's okay with it, but Clint Hurdle's going to have to have a few conversations with Francisco Cervelli, because it sounds like he, he's even considering not even following the rules at some point if he thinks they can help the Pirates win or if it affect the Pirates' chances of winning a game. Well, catchers have an inflated sense of self-worth. Like, they need to go out there and tell the pitchers everything all the time. I've always gotten that impression whenever I listen to Bob Walk call games on AT&T Sportsnet, for instance. And, Lance, let's do the natural connection then. A lot of managers used to be catchers. 
So you can see why there's a thread there between the managers and the catchers so constantly trying to dictate stuff to the pitchers, right? Yeah, exactly. And it's going to be interesting with the Pirates in particular, Tim, because you got these these young starting pitchers who, um, yeah, they got that experience last season, but they're still a work in progress. And you got a guy like Tyler you, – okay, you start Tyler Glass now. He's He melts down on the mound when things get tough. Ray Searage – constantly has to go out there to calm him down. How's Tyler Glass not going to be able to respond when nobody's able to come out there and talk to him? Well, it can't be it's worse. It's going to make things worse. <laughs> it can't. You know, the, can the balls are gonna, They'll just continue to throw balls, and then, okay, you get a reliever warming up in the bullpen, but you can't go to, and take a mound visit to give that reliever more time to warm up, so then you bring in a cold reliever, and then the balls continue. It's just a cycle. I think the Major League Baseball – didn't want to do anything too drastic. You talk to the players, they, they think the same thing. And uh, it's it just, it's not going to do anything. I think it'll be the same thing. All you're going to do is frustrate people like Francisco Cervelli, pitching coaches too, for that matter. And uh, we'll see how they respond. I think this is just trying to get guys to think faster and try to get that internal clock in their head to have them thinking, okay, well, I need to start my warm-up pitches now. This is when the last one has to be. But there really isn't any punishment for this stuff, Tim, so guys are just going to continue to break the rules. Well, that's where I was going next, Lance, is I've been stunned to do the reading on this and find that really there's no consequence. It's just, what, fines? And who are they yeah, fining? Yeah, that's, that, that's the only thing that's significant. The only significant thing is the mound visits because the umpire can tell the pitching coach, no, you can't go out there. He can tell, try to tell the catcher, no, you can't go out there. You guys have had six. Unless there's a cross-up in signals between the catcher and the pitcher, there's nothing you can really do about it. But that's going to lead to arguments on the field between the pitching coach and the and the umpire about what constitutes a mound visit or did they miscount them. I could just see this going a number of ways. The first spring training will be easy for these for these umpires. Once the season starts, the first month or two of the season is going to be a train wreck, in my opinion. When you get a guy like Mike Matheny, who's just going to – when Yadier Molina tries to go out there too many times, how do you think that's going to go? <laughs> Right, yeah, and then they're going to have a longer delay because Matheny's going to argue or Molina's going to argue. And, you know, if it's just fines and, you know, you're not calling a balk with a runner on base or you're not awarding a ball or a walk or awarding first base for a batter, then I'm not sure that it's, we're really going to see any sort of ripple effect. I'd also argue this, Lance, if they want to increase the pace of play for everyone, then they got to do it for all hitters, too, not just pitchers and catchers. Exactly. Uh, and you're. It's going to be interesting where this leads, though, Tim. Anytime there's change, you wonder what's next. Are they going to take a closer look at the strike zone, which is something I don't think they would announce privately if they're going to make it bigger, because that would obviously make the, the games go by a little bit quicker when you're not having guys throwing that many balls. The strike zone's as small as it has been in the last couple of years. So, hey, I don't know if a pitch clock's going to come, but this is going to cause a lot of debate, and it's going to frustrate a lot of people. Finally, Lance, and again, it's Lance Lysowski from DKPittsburghSports.com and his way back from Bradenton following uh, his first week down in spring training. I wanted to bounce something off of you since you brought up the name Tyler Glass now before. Ray Searage was on their flagship station and made it sound like the plan is to have Glass now come out of the bullpen, and he sort of gave it the back-in-my-day routine, like you got into the rotation based on how you did in the bullpen, but... That's kind of outdated, old-school thinking and not thinking that I've ever heard applied to how the Pirates use their potential starting pitchers. 
Well, it, and it's become a thing that's been a little bit more common the last couple of years, Sam. I mean, look at Joe Musgrove, guy the Pirates acquired from the Astros. They put The Astros put him back into the bullpen to try to give him time to figure some things out. This is definitely something that just talking to Ray Sear, just was his idea. You could just you could just feel it. <laughs> it is something that he wanted last season. Plus, anytime you have a long reliever, a guy who can throw multiple innings, gives you a number of possibilities. And with this young rotation, and even Avon Nova, who made 31 starts last year and broke down towards the end of the season because of it, you're going to need guys to come in and get a spot start. So I don't think they're confident that putting Tyler Glass now back in AAA or just inserting him back into the rotation is the answer right now. They know that he has a lot of work to do. And the best thing for him, probably, in a lot of people's opinion, is to be in the major leagues, be in the bullpen, be around the major league staff, and try to figure out his answers there. Lance, do you realize that since you left the Pitt basketball beat, they haven't won a conference game? I know, I know. I'm sorry, everybody, but uh, it is a Pitt basketball fan. It's been bad. Yeah, It's I your fault. Win. That, that first game at the ACC tournament against Georgia Tech, they're not good, and uh, they need to make a coaching change, Tim. I know everybody wants, is hesitant to make another one, but they made a bad hire. It was a bad fit from the beginning. I like Kevin Stallings as a person, and uh, I just think it would be best for both sides to figure out some sort of agreement to just move on. Yeah, you know, if you can't beat BC with that lead, and you played as well as you did on the road against Florida State and you still lost, I, I don't know where the win is unless they just – they face Wake when Wake has one of its classic we-can't-shoot nights. Yeah, and I can't point to a player on that team that I think, well, he's going to be something in a couple of years. I think they ended up recruiting guys who weren't ACC-level players out of need. And, of course, that's not going to play. Well, once you go down to North Carolina, you play Duke, or, hey, you host Louisville. So, we'll see. <laughs> Lance, thanks a bunch. Uh, get back safely, and we'll track your coverage throughout the year with the Buckos. all right? Thanks a lot, Tim. Talk to you soon. All right, that is Lance Lysowski. You can check out his work at DKPittsburghSports.com. Read him regularly there. He's a frequent guest here, too, as well. Tim Benz in for Adam Crowley. Still to come later on this hour, we talk Steelers with Eli Rogers, wide receiver for the Black and Gold, who is trying to come back from injury. We'll talk to him before we hit the top of the hour, and we get down to the hangar for the Derek Schooley Show which will take place from 7 until 8 as we talk some college hockey, uh, mix in some Olympic discussion as well. Andrew Pickle will be our guest goaltender for Robert Morris as well. Tim Benz in for Adam. Continuing around here in the 6 o'clock hour. Uh, over the weekend, I was on with Dale Lolly from DKPittsburghSports.com. Dale and I were at the auto show. Uh, heard some of that conversation with Arthur Notes yesterday. We also spoke with Eli Rogers. Uh, the big news for Eli is this was his first time in the convention center. Actually, the bigger news was that this is his first time seeing the convention center. Didn't know where it was. So now he's got to stay in Pittsburgh so he actually can go there for more than 15 minutes. That's why he was late. Didn't know where he was going. Well, that and the Uber and couldn't drive himself what with the ACL injury and everything, but... We did get an injury update from Eli. We also spoke with him about the state of the passing game, what should happen with Lev Bell, and just kind of rationalizing what happened at the end of the Jacksonville Jaguar game for him, both personally and professionally, the loss and the ACL that he suffered. Here's Eli Rogers from uh, this weekend with Dale Lolly and me, Tim Benz. We sit in for Adam. Eli Rogers, you just came in here to the David L. Lawrence Convention Center, wide receiver for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, Eli, first and foremost, how you feeling? How's it coming along? How's the knee? Oh, man, it's coming along great. You know, um, just taking it a day at a time. It's getting stronger, though. You know, um, at a pretty good flexion and uh, extension uh, degree right now. So 
It's coming along good, just a day at a time. How uh, how disappointing was that for you, for that to happen when it happened, um, right before you hit free agency? Uh, it was, you know, very disappointing. You no, know, but uh, I'm not worried about it because, you know, um, the eye in the sky don't lie, and you know I've done all I can do. So you know that's kind of like the supernatural stuff that happened. You know, you don't never really try to worry about the supernatural. I know that uh, when Kevin Colbert met with the media, uh, he said of Ryan Shazier and his injury, he never once said, why me? Do you have to avoid that kind of thinking yourself? Uh, yeah. In terms of timing? I mean, I'm not talking about in terms of severity of the injury. Uh, I'm just talking about in terms of timing. Is that something you can't say to yourself, why me, or it bogs you down? Yeah, absolutely. Like, uh, you know, just where I am as a person, you know, individually, I don't let, you know, pretty much anything uh, – stop my focus you know because this is just a platform and you know i'm i know i'm blessed to be here so you know uh having having me i mean being injured is is unfortunate but it's not going to stop me from you know uh uh growing it was kind of freakish how the play even happened i mean right. you, you just got kind of caught legs it was, it was Bouye, right uh uh telvin smith telvin smith yeah you guys just kind of caught legs as you were trying to to cut and, and yeah, I kind of just stopped, and uh, he kind of just ran the back of me. I had stopped, he ran the back of me, kicked my leg. You know, it was kind of like just a uh, simultaneous movement, kind of like a freakish play. Uh, I stopped and kicked me. Cause you I see, didn't even think I was injured, though. I didn't think nothing was torn. Yeah, you see that happen a lot of times, and guys go down with an ACL with no contact. Right. I mean, yours was a definite contact yeah, situation. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, definitely was contacting. And he kind of knew it right away, too, because he came right to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, I mean, was he like, oh, man, I'm really sorry about that? Or? Yeah, he was like, oh, dang, my bad, bro. I ain't mean to. Uh, my bad. You know, that's my fault, stuff like that. So, Eli, you used the phrase before, the eye in the sky doesn't lie. <clears throat> so are you feeling like you've put enough on tape that the Steelers would want to keep you as you rehab through your injury or – do you think you put enough on tape that other teams might look at you and say, you know what, even though he's hurt, he's worth our time and our investment? Uh, well, yeah, I, I, I do believe I put enough on um, uh, on tape in crucial moments, you know, for teams to be able to or, or the Steelers to, you know, take that chance with me and, you know, stick with me or, or another team to come and try to, uh, pick me up or something like that. Like I, I, I do believe that I, I have put uh, a decent amount of film on film, and whether I made the play or not, you know, I know I put some really good plays on film. So, uh, yeah, I, I think I, I think I uh, put enough on film. Now what's but, the? But we'll see though. You know, um, we'll see. What's the long-term prognosis when they when they went in? Did you just do the ACL or did you do any other damage as well? Yeah, ACL, uh, slight meniscus, but uh, mainly ACL. So did they fix the meniscus as well when yeah. they went in? Yeah. So what's the what's your rehab look like then? What's what's the uh, the long-term prognosis? Uh, what do they say? They say is what uh, four to six injury, four to six month injury. So just that time period we have. So you expect to be ready then for training camp and, and be ready to, to be out there and be able to do any of that kind of stuff? Yeah, God willing, you know, I'm, I'll be ready to go. 
Eli, the team made a change at offensive coordinator during the offseason. Uh, how do you think the offense will differ with a new coordinator, with Randy in there in charge of calling the plays? How will it be better? Uh, I, I don't think the play calling will differ much. Uh, it's, just, it's just probably a um, situational, situational football that may be where the difference come in at some, but I don't think Like third and fourth and short and red zone primarily? Right, right, yes. Uh, I, I, I don't think it'll differ much, though, outside of that. You know, I think it's still to be uh, the same offense, pretty much, as far as my knowledge. Do you, did you see the need for a change? <laughs> we didn't make it to the Super Bowl, so uh, obviously uh, everyone needed a little changing. You know, something needed to be changed. Um, when, when you look at what's here, what the, what's in that room, uh, your, your room, the rest of the offense, is this a place where you want to be back next year? I would love to be back here. You know, uh, it's a great, a great city, great fans, the best fans in the league, literally, like really. I believe that. I'm a firm believer. Uh, and, you know, we have a great offense. I mean, great players, great guys on the team, man. So, you know, I, I love to come back here. You know, but, you know, it's solely based on the coaches and, you know, uh, however that process goes, bro. Couldn't you potentially go somewhere else, though, and maybe have a, a more defined, bigger role? Yeah, potentially. How about Lev? What do you think Lev's going to do? Your lockers are right <laughs> next to each other. That's yeah. the $40 million question, so you get to answer that last before we wrap up here. He said, how he doing? Yeah, well, what do you think is going to happen? Franchise tag? You got, we had 60 seconds, so you have 60 seconds to answer the most important question in the NFL. <laughs> Franchise tag, sign him long-term, or he goes somewhere else. What do you think happens with Lev Bell? Man, he's the best running back in the league. Uh, acquires the most yardage from scrimmage what, the last past, what? Three years. Three years as a running back. Um pay the man you know uh just pay him i don't know pay him we're glad you stopped by get better hopefully you're still in the steeler locker room next year when we're around for a mini camp all right all right thank you all man it was a pleasure i appreciate it all right so thanks to eli uh just to put into context some of the things we're talking about with him uh just 18 catches and 149 yards this past season uh, what with injury and the emergence of Juju Smith-Schuster and the return of Martavis Bryant, he's certainly got marginalized. Uh, 36 targets in 14 games. Uh, also had that fumble, of course, so um, that was something that was held over his head. But uh, with that being said, Eli, I think, could still serve a purpose, especially now if he comes in at a bargain basement price, uh, knowing that a lot, a lot of other teams are going to want to float that out there like much of a contract to him given the ACL injury and all. Uh, if you look at his numbers, though, uh, this season for Eli, if you want game by game, uh, it started to pick up, what would you say, somewhere around like the Baltimore game. You know, made a contribution in the Baltimore game, had three catches for 33 yards and that big 39-38 uh, win. Against New England, he caught a touchdown and then um, – Against Houston, he had a, a few passes, a few targets, but that was because that game was uh, more or less just in the... He, he played pretty well against Green Bay. Green Bay had uh, seven targets, but um, it was just a spotty year up and down. 43 yards against Minnesota. That's probably his best uh, camp, best game of the campaign, but uh, Eli still could come back and help, but uh, I think the days of him being your 
best notion in the slot are done. The only way that I would see Eli really being that much of an impact guy in the slot is if they don't keep Lev Bell and um, they don't have an option there out of the backfield. But I would definitely prefer Lev Bell hands down seven days a week and twice on Sunday as opposed to Rodgers coming out of the backfield or in the slot on offense. All right, we come back. Uh, since you're not hearing me right now, unless you're listening on tape, and you are, I'm listening to me right now driving down to the hangar in Moon Township. We've got the Derek Schooley Show coming up at 7 o'clock, uh, 7 until 8, talking college hockey. So if you missed it before, Josh Getzoff uh, talking Penguins hockey to lead in the college talk. That's next. Play-by-play voice of the Pens on 105.9 The X. He joins me here on ESPN Pittsburgh. Moments here, Tim, and for Adam, and through the magic of radio, I'm not here. But you are not listening to me right now. This is how radio works when it's a one-man band to go down the parkway from Green Tree to the airport. That's right. I am listening to me right now. You are listening to me right now because I'm in my car going to the hangar. We've got the show tonight at 7 o'clock, Derek Schooley. Uh, for RMU Hockey. So let's talk some NHL hockey before we talk college hockey. Josh gets off if you missed him earlier. Uh, he talks to us about the Pens, trade rumors, health status, and where they are fatigue-wise going into the playoffs. Here's the play-by-play voice of the Penguins downstairs at the exits. Josh gets off with us. It's a great question, Tim. Uh, thanks for having me on. I think when you look at what the Penguins have done the last couple of years, Jim Rutherford has really made his M.O. as making the right moves and not necessarily the boldest ones in the sense of a couple of years ago, you look at him analyzing the team and saying they need to get faster, getting a Trevor Daly, getting a Carl Hagelin, picking up uh, Justin Schultz just prior to the deadline. We all know what he's morphed into. Uh, and then last year, there was relative quiet uh, on the Penguins front, getting Ron Hainsey and Mark Streit, who ended up being pretty too, or two pretty dependable guys, obviously more so Hainsey than Streit down the stretch for the Penguins and winning the cup last year. So I think when you look at how the team is playing right now, that has to factor into it. They've been a totally different team in 2018. Uh, aside from Patrick Hornquist and Tom Kunakel's recent injuries, they've also been a lot healthier, especially up front. Uh, and I think that's allowed Mike Sullivan to get a little bit of rhythm with his forward unit and also be able to roll four lines, which he really hasn't been able to do up until the last couple of months consistently with this Penguins team. Now, with that being said, there are some appetizing names out there. And I, I think it, it would be foolish to not think that Jim Rutherford is not looking directly at some of those guys. And, and they're the names that we've heard constantly over the last couple of weeks. But I think the the issue, as you know just as well as I do, is the Penguins are a team that's going to be right up against the cap here coming down the stretch, and they're not going to be able to really add a big name or a expensive name without subtracting a current one from their roster. And you don't know how that's going to jive in the locker room. You don't know how that's going to jive in the long term. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. So I think that there are a lot of things up in the air as far as them making a deal, I wouldn't be surprised, but I don't always look at, especially with what Jim Rutherford's done in season the last couple of years, I don't necessarily expect or have any prediction that it's going to be a massive move with a big name coming here. Well, Broussard would be a big name, and that's the one that everybody's talking about. Is that an overrated target, in your opinion? No, I think, you know, Derek Broussard's a great player, and when you look at the Penguins, as well as Riley Sham plays, has played, I should say. We've said, I know I've talked to you about this, talked to a lot of people about this, that if Riley Shands your fourth-line center when you enter the Stanley Cup playoffs, you're going to be a pretty darn tough team to beat uh, up da- down the middle. And if that third-line center is Derek Broussard, it makes it even more difficult when you think about the possibilities they'd have. But, you know, Broussard is a guy who's, I believe, also under contract next year. So he's not a true rental. 
And that potentially could have some after effects with the Penguins this summer. You look at some of the guys they're going to have to deal with, namely Patrick Hornquist. Uh, but Riley Shands also a restricted free agent. They have some other guys in there they're going to have to make financial decisions on, namely Brian Russ. Uh, who's going to be owed a big payday. So you bring in a contract like Broussard, there is an after effect to that in the immediate future with the team. Now, if Jim Rutherford can find a way to make it work, which I have no doubt he's trying to do, if he can swing a deal for Broussard, then the Penguins vault to the top. I mean, there's no team that's deeper than them up front. Their defense has been way better here in the 2018 calendar year, and Matt Murray seems to have found his stride. So uh, Broussard is, a, is an acquisition that I think puts the Penguins on another level. But that's why I believe that a lot of people are talking about him right now. And, and for good reason, because of what he would bring to the table. And we've all seen firsthand uh, what he could do in the playoffs because he's done it so often against the Penguins over the last few years. Is Grabner being talked about because he would be a target for Pittsburgh in and of himself, or would he be brought here to offset Sheary being traded in terms of a salary dump to bring somebody in like Broussard? Yeah, that's that's kind of what I was saying earlier. I feel like if they make a trade, Tim, that uh, Connor Sherry, unfortunately, is probably going to be a guy that might be involved in it or potentially uh, is going to be rumored to be involved in it just because he has the term and the contract right now with the Penguins. And, you know, it's unfortunate because when you sign a contract with an organization, you do that because you want to be a part of the, the future and the solution with the group. But uh, that's obviously been the unfortunate situation for him because he's fallen into a lot of these rumors because when you look at the forwards, and you look at the Penguins and how deep they are on the wing, there's an opportunity to potentially move him. And, you know, Michael Grabner's a, a trendy name because he is exactly the kind of winger that would work with Sidney Crosby, I think. A, a speedy wing. I know seven of his goals have been shot into an empty net this year, but we've seen him firsthand. He scored a short-handed goal against the Penguins when the Rangers were in town last month. Uh, he has a ton of speed. He can kill penalties. He just would give them another option on that right wing, which is – as deep as any team in the league. I think when you look at what they have when they're all healthy, uh, now you throw Zach Aston Reese into the mix, who I know has been playing more on the left side, but can also play uh, on the right as well. And it makes guys expendable when, you, when you're trying to add a key player here down the stretch. So, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if, if Sherry is a name that gets tossed around if there is a move to be made when it comes to adding salary, uh, just because of those reasons alone. Yeah, I just don't want to see Grabner or Broussard go anywhere else because they kill the Penguins. Yeah, no, it's, it's true, especially especially Broussard. And you're right, Grabner has had his moments as well. I just feel like it, it's weird to think that the Rangers are going to make a deal with the Penguins. But you know what? Last year it was kind of convoluted, but the Flyers made a deal with the Penguins with Mark Streit uh, coming here. I know Tampa was the middleman there, but that was a little fishy with how it all went down. So I think that you, you look at it, and there's always a possibility. And with those names, I mean, you can understand why the Penguins would be interested in both and, and some others out there as well. Being joined by Josh Getzoff, play-by-play voice for the Pittsburgh Penguins on 105.9 The X. You've got the Mike Sullivan show tomorrow on The X, right, Josh? That is correct. Who enjoys doing the show more, Rutherford or Sullivan? <laughs> Let me uh, rephrase. Who, who enjoys doing the show less, Rutherford or Sullivan? <laughs> depends uh, what day of the week uh, and depends on the result of the most previous game. I will say this. Both of those guys are extremely gracious with their time to sit down with me every other week because – they are busy. Uh, as Mike Sullivan always jokes, he, he always wants to do his, his regular job at some point during the day, which is coaching uh, the team. So, uh, you know, he, he obviously has been extremely gracious at this time. Jim Rutherford's been very forthcoming when I've talked with him as well uh, about anything and everything under the sun with this team. As far as who enjoys it more, I'm going to give it a push, and I know that's the cop-out answer that you're not looking for, but I think both of those guys 
uh, are at the same level of excitement when they sit down because they can't wait to spill all the beans to me. That's a very positively spun way there, Josh. Good play by you. Good, good, good dump into the corner by you. Um, let's. <laughs> I wanted you. You mentioned time there, and I wanted to focus on that for just a second because there is so much talk earlier in the season. It's quite the narrative that the Penguins aren't playing well because they're tired, and I never bought into that because that was just a self-defeating thing. It was one of those deals where, you know, if you set it up like that, at some point you're going to be right if they don't win the cup. Well, they, eventually they just didn't win the cup because they're tired. Well, you know, if they were too tired earlier, then it would have been flat-out exhausted by now, and here they are playing their best hockey. Did everybody else get more tired more quickly? Like, their level of tired and they're just better again? Because I, I think this kind of proves that it was less about fatigue and it was more about inconsistent play than it was anything else. Absolutely. That's what I think it was. It was inconsistency, and it was maddening inconsistency with this team. I mean, even if you look back two months ago, I think around Christmas, they played Columbus in a couple of games, and both of those games were real emotional comebacks, shootout wins. And I think the next game in both, they, if I'm not mistaken, I know one of them they got shut out against Anaheim right before Christmas, and the other one they lost as well. I can't remember if it was a shutout. So uh, both of those games, <clears throat> excuse me, were on home ice, and, and it just weren't, they weren't the responses you were hoping for from a team that has continuously shown resilience in their game under Mike Sullivan. So I think that the inconsistency was is the best way to describe it through the first half of the uh, season. And, you know, the Penguins have been asked time and time again about flipping the switch and if that is a, a real thing. And they really have never – I haven't heard a guy come out and use that exact line, but I don't know what else you can really call it. And, I, you know, I never played in the league, so it's hard for me to gauge it from a player's perspective. But I think when you look at what these guys have done the last couple of years – and Mike Sullivan has continuously preached the process of trending upwards as the month progress, months progress. And in this time of the year, you want to be make sure, making sure you're hitting your second stride to come into March, to hit your third stride into April, and then playing your best in the middle of April into the Stanley Cup playoffs. And the Penguins have been able to do that each of the last couple of years, particularly riding really, really strong marches each of the last two years in the playoffs that have kind of shot them up the standings. Now, they've had a pretty good February, so – uh, that bodes well based on how they've played in March the last couple of seasons. And for that matter, this whole calendar year has been really good. I believe they're 16-4-1. So uh, is it a matter of a flipping of the switch? I don't know any other way to describe it because I feel like the group understands the urgency needs to be there now. And to their credit, and it does start at the top with how the big guns have been playing, and it kind of trickles down to all the uh, depth that's produced here recently. And you, you get some fresh legs in there that maybe haven't consistently given you a jolt and Dominic Simone and, uh, JSD at times, but when they did score, when they came up with points for this team, they were significant goals. And then Zach Aston Reese has obviously been a spark here recently, and it shouldn't be lost on anyone. The, the performances in times of need by Tristan Jari and Casey DeSmith, I think those things are rallying points from this for this team when they you know they needed to find a way to, to rally and, and kind of get themselves into gear here. And uh, those are all key moments for them to regroup and, and get rolling here down the stretch. Now, have you got the call for Carolina and Florida? Yes, I'll be down there for both games. Okay, so while you're in the broadcast booth for both those games, by the time they get back on the ice on Friday, will Kunako, Hornquist, and Schultz all be back or no? 
I think Schultz probably will be back. He practiced in full today, said he just had an illness that kind of came out of nowhere, and that's what took him out of that back-to-back over the weekend. Uh, as far as Hornquist, he looks like he's getting close. Uh, I was at practice today, and he skated before the team, uh, went through a full workout, did not practice with the team. And Mike Sullivan's usually a stickler about getting one practice in with the team before getting back in the lineup. So I would think if we don't see him out there with the team on Thursday, uh, then it's unlikely. Now, if we see him out there and he's in no contact on Thursday and skates uh, in the morning skate on Friday, then he's probably a good chance to, to be labeled the uh, ever-famous game-time decision by Mike Sullivan for that matchup against the Hurricanes. As far as Kunako, I haven't seen him on the ice, uh, and I don't know what his status is as far as coming back into the lineup, but I would imagine between the two it's more likely Hornquist returns sooner. I don't know if that's going to be Carolina, but he definitely seems to be trending uh, towards a return to the ice sooner rather than later. Last thing, Josh, goaltending. Look at Jari now. Look at Gustafson long term. In about a minute or two that we got left here, Rutherford's bigger concern is what? The high end and holding on to Gustafson or the immediate future and making sure that Murray has a good backup like he's had in years past with Flurry going in the playoffs? Yeah, you know, Tristan Jari has one year left. Uh, he's on his last year, I should say, of his entry-level deal, and then he's a restricted free agent this summer. So that's a that's a big decision for, for Jim Rutherford as far as how to handle that. When you look at Philip Gustafson, I know his name started to be, throw, be thrown out there in trade talks, and let's be honest, he had a good showing in the World Juniors, and we all know that there's a lot of media north of us that when a, t- a player plays particularly well in the World Junior Championships, they become a darling, and they become a high-level prospect. Not to take anything away from Gustafson. He was a second-round pick. Uh, he's been playing really well in the Swedish Elite League and obviously was dynamite in the World Juniors 14 Sweden. But I think when you look at the long term, there's a lot of hope for him, but there's also maybe a, a bargaining chip in the form of him as a result of that. They know what they have in Jari, and I think uh, they're pretty satisfied with him being the main guy in Wilkes-Barre for right now and continuing to develop. If he's on board with that, which of course is the biggest question, then I think that's the best way to approach things is kind of keeping Jari closer to the best of the two and letting Gustafson kind of just dangle uh, for for the moment being. Josh, really do appreciate the time. Uh, what time tomorrow night for the uh, Mike Sullivan show then? 6 o'clock, right on the X? Yep, 6 to 6.30 on the X, yep. All right, we'll talk again j- soon, Josh. Thank you very much. All right, Tim, thank you. All right, so my thanks to Josh Getzoff. Uh, I will be back in just a few moments. We continue talking hockey. We transition into the Derek Schooley show at the hangar. I'm probably there by now. And if I haven't gotten there by now, look for me on the side of the road because I've hit a tree. Derek Schooley show coming up next. Thanks for listening. I'm back in for Adam tomorrow at 4 o'clock.